morning. God bless you. Good to see you all here. I had a great time in Turkey. A uh, team of ten from New Day went to Turkey. We were joined by a man from New York uh, who met us in um, the airport there in Istanbul. And then, in addition to that, there were seven Bulgarians. So there were actually 18 of us uh, uh, doing a primarily prayer walking mission trip throughout Turkey. We visited Istanbul, which is an enormous city. Most people in the West have forgotten that Christianity was actually the, the basically the world headquarters of Christianity uh, was in Constantinople for n- nearly a thousand years and, and it was the place where uh, the Christian church resisted the onslaught of uh, the Muslim uh, the Muslim crusaders uh, who finally did conquer that city in, in 1443 if I remember correctly and uh, and from there once they conquered Istanbul they swept through all of all of Europe and so it's a very significant historic city both in international politics and just world history but also in the faith because it's 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 a gateway to the Islamic world and it's a secular state so they do allow missionaries but culturally, it's very, very. It's one of the most resistant uh, um, nations. You cannot do open evangelism in any way. You cannot hand out Christian literature in any way. But we can go and pray. And so we would go pray and worship in public places, do communion, and uh, it was it was quite a quite a powerful time. It was great when you, you know, we didn't have, weren't able to bring any instruments. So a couple times that we did uh, sing worship songs. Literally, people come up and videotape you. You become a tourist attraction. Yeah, yeah, they were videotaping us, especially in in some of the cities. It's common uh, for people, artists, to perform and musicians. So one time we were singing, this guy stuck his his smartphone like right here, videotaping me singing. So, So I'm like. Sorry, <laughs> I don't sing that well. So anyway, it was a powerful time. <clears throat> and one of the things we did was go to Izmir, which in, in the New Testament you'll read is called Smyrna. It's one of the cities that Paul visited. Uh, many of uh, the places where Paul, you read about in Acts, where Paul did his missionary journeys, are in what is now Turkey. In fact, where we were, we were right in the middle of this district where all seven of the churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelations are. We were in that region. So within a day's drive, all seven churches, uh, 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 we were in one of them. We were in Smyrna, which is the only church in, in Revelation that is not rebuked. It's the persecuted church. And uh, as uh, we do know, we have a sister church there, Partners in Harvest Church, so we were able to attend that church. And they're actually doing amazingly well. They just set New Testaments on the window shelf on the outside so they're not handing them out they just set them there and they give away a thousand new testaments a month a thousand new testament a month uh and uh it's quite in every service they have the service that we were in had uh uh three people just walk in off the street because they they hear the music and they just walk in they're hungry and so it's a powerful ministry but one part is all in turkish and the worship they didn't have a translator and so we were trying to sing along to these songs and and then they come and they say something and then they put up these words and they they all start reciting the words and I realize you know one of the is Pontius Pilate I realize they were reciting the creed in preparation to take communion seriously 
Yeah. <laughs> so one week ago, we did the same thing that we just did, but with uh, our fellow believers in Turkey. So it was really powerful to do that and that we worship, you know, in all the uh, countries that have been to all the different cultures and throughout all of history, if you study church history, there's some constants and a constants that remain throughout all the different cultural differences is that the church consists of people who have faith, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, gathering together, the ecclesia. That means a public gathering. The very word that we translate church means a public gathering of people for the purpose of worship. And so singing songs of worship. And then uh, uh, doing communion. The breaking of bread and wine and remembering the sacrifice, declaring what Jesus did, and then teaching from God's Word. And then the fellowship, that, that unity, that, that relationship that happens when as a faith community we come together and do those things. That's what church is. That's what church has always been. And that's what church will always be until the Lord Jesus comes back and establishes His kingdom throughout the whole earth. And so we get to celebrate that. And it's just exciting to be able to go to other nations and partake and see uh, in a totally different culture. <clears throat> so it was a great trip. Glad to be back. We are going to continue... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount series. And um, uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been going through this series for a number of months. Unlike most of our series, we're taking our time. Uh, most of our series are just four weeks long, but I'm just extended time going through the sermon verse by verse. And uh, the general theme of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' vision statement, if you will, for His kingdom. It's what He expects of his disciples. So this is Jesus describing in his own words what the church, what those following him, those responding to the call to follow him, this is what it should look like. <clears throat> the current section of the sermon that we're in is focused on um, expectations of a disciple's religious life. And the idea of a, a religious life simply means their faith-based practices, the activities, the actions they do that are specifically motivated out of their faith, uh, faith behaviors, if you will. <clears throat> the most prominent of those practices, both in Jesus' day and, uh, again, in the New Testament, are really three things. Charitable giving, which we talked at length about that, so... Uh, using your finances or your material goods in, uh, for the purposes of God and extending His kingdom. Uh, prayer, which is we talked about in the Lord's Prayer uh, just in the last time we spoke, is communicating with God, hearing God, and, and speaking to God, and fasting. So, we're going to talk about fasting today. Uh, this is the last of the three faith-based practices. And one of the things... Aren't you all excited we're talking about fasting? Yeah. Right. One, of the, one of the reasons why I chose to do the Sermon on the Mount is that it gives me opportunities to preach on subjects that normally you wouldn't do a series on fasting. Yeah? You wouldn't, I rarely get... I don't know if I've ever taught on fasting. I've taught a lot of people individually on fasting, taught classes on it. Uh, but here we get to, to dive in and have a sermon on fasting. So here we go. Uh, Jesus says, Matthew 6, 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to, be, to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. 
But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In the message, which is a more contemporary wording of the same passage, it reads this way. When you practice some appetite, di- I'm sorry. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. Underline, capital, bold print. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. I think that's a good way to put it. So the first phrase in this is, Moreover, when you fast. Just like when uh, Jesus spoke about prayer. He says, When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. So there is an expectation that Jesus puts on His disciples that they will fast. Alright? It's not... Hey, if you decide to fast, you don't really have to fast, but if you want to fast, Jesus doesn't say that, does He? He says what? When. When you fast. So this is clearly, there is an expectation that Christ followers will practice this spiritual discipline. And it's an important discipline often overlooked in many contemporary Christians' lives. The, ma- the message uh, aptly interprets it. It's actually interpretation. An appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God. So it kind of gives us, this is what fasting is supposed to be. An appetite-denying discipline so that we can concentrate on God. When Jesus taught about prayer, and we discussed this a few uh, weeks ago, the last time I taught, He used a familiar Jewish prayer as the basis for the Lord's Prayer. And so when he was speaking, everybody in, that was listening to him kind of was, it was familiar. Okay? Um, he also assumes in the same, in likewise as he's talking about fasting, that his followers will continue the familiar practice of fasting. Fasting was something that was normal in Jesus' culture. He wasn't introducing a new idea because it was regularly practiced. But he does talk about, um, uh, Fasting from a kingdom perspective. In fact, Jesus uses the same format that he's been using all throughout the uh, Sermon on the Mount and that he gives a negative example first. Uh, that's the example of the hypocrites or the pretenders and follows it with a positive example of how fasting should be done. And another part of this series is to give you tips or hints on how to get stuff out of Scripture. And so if you see a pattern like this, everybody say the word pattern. Pattern. There are patterns in Scripture. And so if you see something being repeated where Jesus gives a negative example and then a positive example, a negative example and then a positive example, all through the sermon he's giving that, it helps you clue in, oh, this is how I can learn. This This is, you know, he did that intentionally so that we can learn this is how not to do it, this is how to do it. And so we're just going to follow along uh, and look at first the negative example. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. Okay, everybody make a sad face. For they disfigure their faces. Okay, everybody disfigure their face. Alright, come on, you all do it. 
Very good. <laughs> uh, so that they appear to men to be fasting. They put on the fasting base. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So strict Pharisees actually fasted two days a week. Right? Two days a week. In addition, all Israelites were expected, were commanded, it was obligated in the law to fast on the Day of Atonement. So there was an annual fast, and so uh, Pharisees, which would be the strictest sect, fasted two days a week, and then other people fasted uh, frequently depending on, on their conviction. <clears throat> Jesus in no way condemns fasting, all right, but rather challenges his followers to do it in a way that's consistent with his character, the character of the Father, and the character of the kingdom. So when we fast, we need to do it consistent with God's character. And so here's the positive example. It says, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who is in secret will reward you openly. What does this mean? Uh, Anoint your head, wash your face, simply means the practice, your regular daily routine. All right, so that you just appear normal to everybody you meet. Doesn't mean you have to dress up. Doesn't mean you have to pour oil on your head. <laughs> okay, it just means take a shower, brush your teeth, just come across as normal. That's the point. Uh, with fasting, as with charitable giving and prayer, it's what's in secret that gains us a reward from our Father. Same consists, again, the repetition that we found when Jesus talked about charitable giving, that religious uh, 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 faith-based practice, uh, prayer, another faith-based practice, and now fasting. It's all about uh, what's done in the secret place. Because in the secret place is where you develop and nurture your relationship with the Father. And fasting is something that... uh, is a very powerful way to develop that relationship. And here we have this term once again. This is another repetition. It says, your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret. Let's just think about that for a minute. The father is in the secret place. What does that mean? What do you think Jesus meant by that? What do you think Jesus intended his hearers to think of when he said those words? That he's repeated now several times in this, in this sermon that he taught. The Father who is in the secret place. If the Father, God Almighty, is in the secret place, what does that tell you about the secret place? It's special. It's sacred. It's holy. Right? Right. And then, how important does that make the secret place? Extremely important. Extremely important. Now, this is the issue. Everybody has a secret place. Most people think when you go to your secret place, you're alone. Most people go to the secret place to contemplate things that, that, that they wouldn't contemplate openly because they would be embarrassed or they'd get in trouble. Yeah. They entertain sinful uh, uh, thoughts or fantasies in the secret place. Or maybe they uh, entertain grudges and bitterness and anger 
against other people in the secret place. The secret place is the inside, the inner heart, your, your inner chamber where no one else can get to. Right? Jesus was talking about a secret place in the individual's lives that He was talking to. And He's talking about your secret place. He's talking about the place in your life, in your soul, in your spirit that nobody else is. And th- but He says something radical here. He says that's where the Father is. Alright? Now, just for a moment, you could think, wow, you mean the things I do in secret are the things that I'm doing right in the face of the Father. And that might make you afraid, and it may, it may, it ought to. But it also should give you hope. Because that's the very place where God's power can transform that thing that's making you broken, or that thing that is wounding you, or that, that issue in your life that you're struggling with. Because that's where the Father dwells. Is this making any sense? Okay. When you go to a place where it's hidden, know that the Father's there. You can't ever do something that's out of sight of the Father. And the more secluded you are, that just means it, you're actually in His presence. He dwells in the secret place. And that's where you best connect with Him. So, so, so keep in mind, you, know, you have a choice what you do in the secret place. Yeah. You can entertain the Father in that secret place. Or you can entertain things that offend Him. Alright? It's your choice. And Jesus is just telling us this truth. And when you entertain the Father, He's going to see that. He's going to see what's done in secret. And if you do things that please Him, do things that are, is in tune with His character, He's going to reward you. So the emphasis is on the inward interaction with our Father, not on the outward acts. And that's communicating, that's the main point that Jesus is communicating, is that it's that inner interaction that uh, d- d- defines a, a kingdom-oriented, a religious or faith-based practice, not the outward act. But it in no way communicates that the outward act is unimportant, okay, or optional. Far from it. Right. Alright? Neglecting to do the actions that are expected and commanded would be disobedience. Alright? If we neglect to do what God tells us to do, or do what God tells us not to do, that's disobedience, right? Uh, doing it with the wrong attitude or only for outward show would be hypocrisy. Is, is disobedience better than hypocrisy? Yes, no, maybe so. No. Is hypocrisy better than disobedience? No, they're both wrong. Jesus expects us to do what is expected, but with the right attitude and motive. And that's, that's, the, that's, that's what He's communicating throughout the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is actually the requirements of behavior in the kingdom far exceed the requirements of behavior under the law. Because it also includes that you must have the right motive, the right heart, and it must flow out of, of intimate relationship with the Father. Alright? So the motive is that. Intimate relationship. Intimacy with the Father. What's done in, in the secret place. Everything flows out of that. So the Life Application Bible is just a real a good resource because it puts into, I think, real understandable terms uh, what the Scripture is referring to. I'm just going to read what uh, it says about this portion of Scripture. Fasting 
Going without food in order to spend time in prayer is noble and difficult. <laughs> they just break it down there, don't they? It's kind of like some it's a good idea, but it's not easy. It gives us time to pray, teaches self-discipline, reminds us that we can live with a lot less, and helps us appreciate God's gifts. Jesus was not condemning fasting, but hypocrisy. Fasting in order to gain public approval. Fasting was mandatory to the Jewish people once a year on the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees voluntarily fasted twice a week uh, to impress the people with their holiness. Jesus commended acts of self-sacrifice done quietly and sincerely. He wanted people to adopt spiritual disciplines for the right reasons, not for selfish desire uh, for praise. And so it gets to the motive of fasting. <clears throat> Since we're talking about fasting, I want to take some time to share some uh, uh, lessons I've learned from many, many years of fasting. Uh, fasting is a spiritual, as a spiritual discipline is one of the most powerful tools. So I'm actually going to just kind of veer off from what's actually written in Scripture and just give you some practical tips on how to fast in a way that uh, it can, can help you. <clears throat> if done correctly, it's very, very powerful. I compare it to um, a chainsaw. As uh, you know, in the, in, in the person's tool shed, one of the most powerful tools is a chainsaw. You know, it's regular prayers like a handsaw. Fasting is like a chainsaw. You can cut through anything. All right, you can you can get a lot done. Uh, or uh, uh, <clears throat> um, another comparison. Anyway, or like powerlifting. You know, exercise, aerobic exercise is great. Helps you get fit. But if you really want to build mass and strength, you have to lift some serious weight. So fasting is like powerlifting type prayer, but it needs to be done in a correct way. And there's four basic types of fasts. Um, the Daniel fast, which is based on Daniel 1, verse 8. We're going to read this. It's a very common term. Um, a lot of Christians don't know anything about fasting. If you've been around New Day for a while, we do uh, fast. We did a 40-day fast. It was last year. Um, and uh, people often use the term Daniel fast. So I just want to explain what that is from this passage. It says, Daniel, Daniel was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was a Jew. He was captured by the Babylonians when they, when they completely um, overtook Israel and they took all of the inhabitants of Israel back to Babylon. And the most educated uh, ones, they were, were selected and actually uh, put in in uh, positions of authority and trained to, to be rulers. And Daniel was one of those. So he was actually in the king's residence, kind of like in an internship, being trained to be a ruler and ended up becoming one of the main advisors for the, for the king over the years. So Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs, and that would be the, pe the person who was responsible for taking care of these uh, uh, people for the king, that he might not defile himself. Israelites had strict dietary laws. But Daniel actually wanted to go even further than that and differentiate himself through his diet from the rest of the Babylonians that he was living with. So he wanted everyone, he wanted to eat differently with, on purpose, so that there would be a clear distinction. Uh, between himself 
and the, uh, the other people that he was now living with. And that's one of the reasons of the dietary laws in general, is to, to clarify a distinction between God's people and the rest of the, of the races. Now God <clears throat> brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. And uh, the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse uh, than the young men who are your age? that you would endanger my head before the king. So this guy was afraid he was going to get his head chopped off <laughs> if Daniel and his associates ended up looking bad because they weren't eating regular diet. Um, and Daniel replied, <clears throat> uh, So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, these are Daniel's friends, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And so that's what they did for, for the first ten days and, and then uh, actually beyond that, he said, test it and see if we don't look as good. And it turned out that Daniel not only looked as good, he looked better right, after eating this restricted diet. So it was this and there's another... Uh, um, uh, passage in the book of Daniel that talks about another type of fast that he did that the whole term Daniel fast is based on. So some people define that really strictly and try to pull out of that verse a Daniel fast is specifically only vegetables. But it's actually just a general term for still eating but eating a limited diet. Okay, So he didn't want to partake of the king's delicacies. What does that mean? And Daniel ended up eating just vegetables and water. Um, but in general, when you say, I'm going to do a Daniel fast, you're limiting your uh, intake to something other than your normal diet. It can be just vegetables, or you can say, I'm not going to eat any sweets for a month, or I'm, I'm not going to eat any red meat, and that's a legitimate fast. Does that make sense? Okay, general term. A that's one type of fast. A juice fast is consuming only liquids. So this can be smoothies as well as juice, some people say anything that will fit into a blender. <laughs> so you can do a roast beef uh, smoothie, you know, go for it. I actually know somebody to try it. <laughs> so a normal fast is abstaining from all food and water only. So normally when you hear a fast, like Jesus fasted 40 days, he ate no, not, no food at all. So that's just a normal fast. And then you have a total fast. And a total fast is abstaining from both food and water. Obviously, you can't do that for very long, just a few days, and you'll die. Unless you happen to be like Moses on the mountain with God. Uh, and he did 40 days without food or water. And came down glowing, right? Because he was in the presence of God. Jesus did a normal fast when he was in the desert. He ate no food. Uh, but as far as we know, he did eat water. It doesn't say that he did not eat, uh, did not drink. <clears throat> So once again, I've forgotten when the service ends. I'm all switched up. You know, last night we had our first weekly service down in Vandalia. Woo! So, huh? I have 20 minutes? No, you have five minutes. I have five minutes. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> 20, 20 after then. Yeah. I think it's seven minutes. Uh, so, as a church, we just gave birth. We started another church in Vandalia, 50 miles from here. So excited about that. So I've been, I preached there last night. Kathy did kids ministry. So it's, it's kind of a whirlwind of a life we're in. All right. Uh, uh, fast is not a diet that can't be a focus, although 
fasting, if it's done right, can benefit by weight loss, although it's, it's a really bad way to try to lose weight. Because usually you overcompensate when you come off the fast and you end up gaining weight. So <clears throat> if you have health issues before you fast, obviously talk to your doctor. Listen, this is the main point about fasting I want to make. I'll use my laser pointer. The benefit of fasting is not in the amount of suffering. The benefit of fasting is not in the amount of suffering. And this is where this whole idea of grace-based fasting... I actually think I might write a book on this. Because every Christian that I know that enters into a fast... They, they seem to, it comes across as though it's all about the suffering that they're doing. Alright? And, and that is missing the point altogether, in my opinion. The purpose of fasting is not to suffer. Suffering does not gain you anything in the kingdom of God. Jesus already suffered all the suffering it takes for everything you need. He died on the cross. Fasting is a way to discipline yourself, to enter into a a more intimate place with the Father. It's actually a place of joy, of glory, of uh, experiencing Him in, in new ways, although there are some challenges. Let me just read Isaiah 58, which is in the Old Testament. Old Testament talking about fasting. Uh, the prophet is asking rhetorical questions. He says, is, is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? And the answer implied is no. So afflicting your soul is not part of a godly fast. Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? And the implied answer is no. And so fasting is not about suffering. And so we, you need to understand that when you do a fast. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 4, talking about Jesus' fast, it says, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. And so as a new creation, a uh, new creation, yeah, as a new creation, uh, as a new Christian in the church that I was, they were really into fasting. <clears throat> and they taught me that when you're fasting, if you're hungry, your fast is over. And you know what? As a new Christian, I just believe that. And you know, I still believe that. And if you believe that, you can actually fast. If you fast right, you shouldn't be hungry. It doesn't mean you don't occasionally have a hunger pain. But you're not constantly hungry. If you're constantly hungry, you haven't, you're, not fast, you're not doing it right. You haven't trained your body. Because afterwards he was hungry. Again, uh, I'm just trying to help you in something that I've learned over 25 years of, of regularly fasting. <clears throat> As in, uh, to that. Oh, sometimes if you do start feeling hungry, it's because uh, you're, uh, uh, maybe an essential nutrient you're missing. Uh, actually, the beginning of this year, I started with a 40-day juice fast. All right. Most of you didn't. Even, I don't, very few people here even knew it. I did 40 days, just juice. Uh, I'll explain. I did it the way I'm, I'm going to explain right here. Uh, and about the um, about the 30th day, I was doing great. But then all of a sudden, at a certain point, I started getting weak and I was hungry. I hadn't been hungry at all. But I started feeling hunger pains. I couldn't figure out what it was. You know, and, I th- and then I realized there must be, maybe there's some nutrient I'm missing. So I started taking a multivitamin. Totally went away. Didn't have the hunger pains. Back into super energy mode, uh, and it was just some. Uh, and so it's okay to take a vitamin uh, in a fast, especially a long fast like that. Like exercise, fasting has some unpleasant aspects. Okay, but overall, it can be enjoyable. It is enjoyable, but you need to learn how to do it properly. And just that message in and of itself, you know, I, I want to lift off this impression that fasting is just this horrible thing that is, is unpleasant. No, if done right, it can be extremely pleasant. Uh, when I fast, once I get into the fasting mode, it takes a few days to get there, but once it kicks in, 
my energy level triples. Okay, literally, uh, I feel better. I'm in a better mood. <clears throat> In general, there are times <laughs> that we're at st uh, stress. Okay, some, some tips. <clears throat> Begin by setting a start date and an end date. Okay, so you know ahead of time when you're going to start a fast and when you're going to stop it. You can be flexible in that, but it's good to have a, a period. Um, sunset to sunset is best. So if you're doing a short fast, so if you're doing a one-day fast, you could eat until sunset on Monday. And, and this is how they measure days in biblical times anyway. Uh, and then uh, not eat until sunset on Tuesday. But, so then you actually go 24 hours without eating, but you eat Monday before sunset and you eat Tuesday after sunset and you still get a legitimate fast. <coughs> Boom, everybody. It makes it easier. All right? it does, it's actually easier on your body as well, frankly. Uh, determine what you will abstain from in before you start it. But be flexible. It's grace-based. It's not some legalistic thing that you have to suffer through. Minor fasts, like no sweets or no TV or Internet, are fine, but they're not as powerful in deepening your intimacy level with the Father as a regular fast or a juice fast. Okay, You have to be more restrictive if you want the bigger benefits of fasting. Fasting TV will not is not chainsaw. <laughs> okay. You know, I don't know what to compare it to. It's like a screwdriver and a battery powered screwdriver. <laughs> you know, so it may help. If you're, if you're having difficulty, if you're doing too much television, you may need to fast TV as an act of repentance. All right. You know, and spend, and it's a good thing. I'm not discouraging it in any way. But I'm, I do want to challenge people that fasting, normal fast, juice fast, are are expected something that's expected in a Christian's life, and and it will help you significantly in your in your Christian walk. Um, for regular fasting, you begin by eliminating red meat and then all meat prior to your fast. So when I prepare for a fast, say I'm going to do a two-week fast or or even a, a week fast, several weeks in advance, I start getting my mind set and I determine I'm going to start cutting down. And, and for at least a week or two before I go to fast, I will not eat any red meat. And then, and then several days before a fast, I stop eating meat altogether. So you're gradually allowing your body to uh, adapt. If you just think that you've got to fast and you're going to eat normal and then, then you're just not going to eat tomorrow, you're going to suffer. Okay? And that suffering is not going to gain you anything in God's eyes. It's not going to gain you spiritually. You're just going to be cranky. All right. But if you view it this way, you can actually learn how to do fasting in a way that is beneficial as well as easier. Um, right. I already said that. <clears throat> Drop to juice and smoothies, eventually uh, reducing to just diluted juice every few hours. So this would be how to do a juice fast. And that's primarily what I do. It's very difficult to do a normal fast in our day. In fact, in our day, uh, a doctor uh, uh, that I, uh, whose resources I've read, a medical doctor, said in, in today's society, a juice fast is as vigorous or more so than a, a normal fast would have been in Jesus' day. Because our, our culture is so much faster paced and, and we have to process so much more information. And that takes a lot of energy and we're just active, active, active. You know, they got up... Uh, you know, and the sun rose, and then when the sun went down, pretty much the day was done. But we keep going until 10 or 11 o'clock every night, regardless. Sometimes we, and we work more. And so we have to understand that juice fasts are, are, are just as significant as normal fasts. It's, um, in fact, 
Um, if you do a, a, a water-only fast, you need to be really prepared for that. So, but, but tapering down, uh, so you stop eating meat, and then you stop eating food, you're just drinking juice and smoothies, and then it's good to get off the smoothies and just do juice, and this, if you're going to do a juice fast. Okay, is this making sense? It's kind of like whatever you determine to do. But a good pattern is to do a juice fast, and so the first couple of days you do smoothies, which include like yogurt or, or milk or whatever you want to put in it, <clears throat> protein powder if you want. But actually the goal is to get off of protein. And when you get just a diluted juice, what happens is, is that your digestive system, for the most part, shuts down. Diluted juice, your stomach can absorb the, the, the sugar out of it. And you don't even need your intestines. Uh, and so that whole part of your body just kind of goes dormant. And that's what gives you extra energy. A third of your energy that you, uh, a third of the calories you consume and a third of the energy you expend every day is just to keep your digestive system functioning. Alright? And so if that kind of goes into dormant mode, you actually have more energy. Alright? So <clears throat> when I do a juice fast, usually the first couple of days I'll have smoothies, but then, like this last time, I was planning on doing smoothies for like, uh, the first week. But after the second day, I was like, I don't even want that. And so I jumped right to juice and then to diluted juice. So at least 50% diluted with either water or sparkling water, which makes it taste better. <coughs> um, and then at the end of the fast, so do you juice fast? And then in the middle of the juice fast, try to go a day with, with just water or maybe a couple of days. And be flexible. Right, because it's gray space. This is a great way. And then on the end side of it, uh, work it back the other way. So gradually introduce new uh, food items in small portions. Eventually get to the point where you end your fast. Um, at the end of the fast, intentionally, please listen to this. Keep your portions small, because once you start eating, all of a sudden you want it all. You know, the beast comes back alive. And you think, well, I haven't eaten for three days or I haven't eaten for three weeks. And so you can just start chowing. You can't. Because if you chow, you'll actually gain weight. You overcompensate. And so, and yeah, if, if you don't gradually introduce food, like the first day I don't eat any meat, I'll just eat uh, like uh, some yogurt and some vegetables. And you got to be very careful because if you eat a big meal, you can actually cause yourself medical damage. You have to end up in the hospital if you don't. If you do it, really stupid. Uh, but if you gradually do it, you, you get your, your digestive system going back again. Also, another thing is um, <clears throat> salt. I, don't, I think I skipped over it. If you're in the middle of a fast, uh, sometimes you need salt, especially if it's a longer fast, longer than uh, uh, five or six days. You, know, you, you need to take a pinch or two of salt. Because uh, your body absolutely needs salt or you'll die. Uh, you need a certain amount of salt. Most Americans have way too much salt. But uh, if you're fasting and not eating anything or just drinking juice, you need to take some salt. So just take a pinch of salt and it tastes delicious. <laughs> All right. Remember, the benefit is not how much you suffer, but increased self-control. Grace-based means it's okay to make adjustments based on how you feel. It's okay. It's not something you're not doing something out of legalistic. Um, uh, and what I normally do when I do a long fast is I'll just drink diluted juice throughout the day uh, once I get tapered down to that and before I go to bed I'll have a piece of bread with like peanut butter on it. And that lasts me. So that enables me to sleep a full night's sleep without waking up in the middle of the night with a headache or 
or uh, in severe hunger. And so, boom, and that's how I did a 40-day fast earlier today. I've done, many, I've done this many, many times. Where I just juice throughout the day, uh, <clears throat> and uh, a slice of bread with peanut butter lasts me. I can sleep a full six, eight hours or longer. Um, having a bite of something is not violating a fast. Okay, and so like if the kids we go out to McDonald's and they're eating French fries and I take a French fry, they'll go, "What if God sees you do that?" You know, because they know I'm fasting. I'm like, "God did see me do that." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh yeah, all right." <laughs> yeah, they're usually more uptight about my fast than I am. But I'm trying to teach them it's 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 okay. I'm not breaking a fast if somebody has a birthday and I have a bite of their birthday cake. Yeah, that's not breaking a fast, all right? If you have six slices. That would be breaking a fast. <laughs> and you'd probably be sick. All right. But to have a bite to celebrate, that's not breaking a fast. I just don't have a full meal. Um, <clears throat> all right. I already said that. Uh, when you fast, you want to intentionally work time to be alone so you can develop that intimacy. Um, if you're doing a water only fast, you should do it. You should only do it if you can spend ex- uh, extensive amounts of time every day alone. Even Jesus, when he did the 40-day fast, had to go out into the desert to be alone because you, people can irritate you when you're on a fast. All right? <laughs> so some things get, you get more irritable. And that's another thing I want to bring up is that fasting reveals issues. That's part of the benefit. Uh, I think it was a year ago I was fasting. I was, I was two or more weeks into it and uh, one of my children did something that wasn't even that wrong, and I just I went I turned into the Hulk. Okay, really, my my shirt ripped off. I grabbed her. You know, I was like, Are you there? You know. Afterwards, I was upstairs. I was with Kathy. I was shaking. I was like, I think I just sinned. You know, and I had to go repent. I said, What I just did to you was worse than what you did. I was totally wrong. Forgive me. Understand, I have been fasting, but that's no excuse. It was a sin. And so fasting, that's part of the benefit. It gets down deeper, but it enables you to take those issues to the Father in that secret place. Okay? Let's see. You know what? Often the benefits of fasting are not experienced while you fast, but after the fast ends. Okay? Jesus was tempted during the fast. So if you encounter temptation, that's normally uh, a part of it. A fasted life is simply developing a lifestyle where fasting is not just occasional, but it's routine. Okay? And it can actually be uh, uh, where you always are fasting something. And that's, a, that's a level some people are called to. Uh, and, but you should routinely have fast. Because, why? Because it gets you to the place where the secret place between you and the Father remains uncluttered. It cleans out the secret place so you can just spend time with the Father. Amen. Tori has some announcements.